From the University of California, Irvine, I'm Sherry Ledbetter, and you're listening to the UCI Podcast. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Today, I'm speaking with Tierra Naputi, Assistant Professor in the Department of Global and International Studies. As UCI is an Asian American and Native American Pacific Islander serving institution, also referred to by the acronym ANAPESI, we want to explore what that means for these communities. Joining us from the island nation of Guam, Professor Naputi has boots on the ground perspective, as well as brings her own expertise to understanding the uniqueness of these populations. Tierra, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Buenas and half a day. That's a greeting from Guahan. Oh, great. Well, let's just start with what's in front of you here. What are you currently working on in Guam? Yeah, so, well, first of all, I just want to say that um, Guam, as it's uh, called in English, Guahan, as its uh, name in, in the indigenous language here, it is a Pacific island. It's not yet a nation. It is designated as an unincorporated territory of the United States. And one of the reasons I'm here is because I uh, received a Mellon ACLS Scholars and Society Fellowship which allowed me to uh, pursue a project that I proposed to be in residence here in Guahan for the academic year, working in collaboration with an organization called Independent Guahan, which is actually a community group committed to educating the public about the benefits and freedoms of sovereignty um, and self-determination. And so those complicated issues of not quite being a nation, but being labeled as a uh, unincorporated territory of the United States are things that we're working on in collaboration together. And then my project specifically is also um, getting into those issues of self-governance, but also the issues related to that that are pressing in this region, which are, of course, climate change and culture and indigenous issues that uh, relate to sustainability for the future. So focusing on those urgent challenges and um, thinking about the political status for the island is basically what I'm working on right now here with these groups. Wow, that's great. That's very, uh, very specific, very focused, um, and particularly with the climate change. I can't wait to hear more about it. I wanted to start also with um, the Anapizi populations a little bit. And most recently, Native Hawaiians have been added to sort of the official heritage month celebrating um, also Native Americans, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And I wanted to ask you what your work shows about these different groups and how their needs are perhaps different from each other and also from other uh, population groups. Yes, well, I hope that the listeners have a chance to uh, learn a little bit more outside of my comments that I might share here, because I'm not an expert on this particular um, designation of groups of people. But I do want to say that, you know, even in mentioning them, listing them out, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, that's quite diverse. Um, and it's quite complex because these populations, if we think about any one of them in that in that um, classification, they're really massive identity groups with disparate histories, but also a lot of connections. So, you know, I think it's important for listeners and others to think about how um, this classification isn't really a monolith. Um, It's really complicated. Uh, I did some of my own research to remind myself that, you know, if we, if we took it to the issue of um, the heritage month, right, that was actually established in the 1970s. And it was actually related a lot to California, I think, because it was originally about honoring the Japanese uh, immigrants who arrived in the 1800s, um, and Chinese laborers, 
And then later it was a, a law that was established by you know, the US um, government to have an honoring month in, in May. And I know it's much more important or it's just as important outside of that particular timeline doesn't have to just be May, but I think the inclusion in 2021 of Native Hawaiians is another example of ways that the Pacific Islander part um, is important to kind of separate out. And in, on the one hand, my primary research agenda does not focus on um, population studies or you know, demographics in that kind of way. Um, I'm actually working with my community as an indigenous Chamorro person, um, which is the classification that we have as Pacific Islanders from a very particular region. The Mariana Islands region um, has Guam or Guahan as one of the islands in the archipelago. So I break that down to say that that's just one subset of what is considered Pacific Islanders, specifically right. for the indigenous you know, Chamorro people, but if we even just think about Pacific Islanders as a category or even native Hawaiians, right? The, you know, I'm just reminded that the Pacific Ocean is this massive part of the Earth's surface. It's one third of the entire planet. It covers, you know, the deepest measured part of the planet, which is the Marianas Trench that's right out, outside of Guahan here. Um, it's this vast body of water, but a lot of people move and migrate. You know, there's indigenous um, languages, there's uh, thousands and thousands of islands. And at the same time, a lot of people, myself included, have this experience of movement and migration from different generations and different reasons to not be living in the home islands. And so, you know, to get at that question of, you know, what are, um, what are the kind of needs and what are also, I think you asked, um, what are the ways that they um, maybe have different and um, similar similar requirements or, or needs? I think it's just really important to remember the needs are to understand them as unique subsets, right? As mm -hmm. uh, people with very rich and enduring histories. Um, in the case of Guahan, it's thousands and thousands of years with various, um, you know, ways of thinking about how our, our indigenous life ways have continued, but also how colonial powers and other nation states have really controlled our cap uh, capabilities for, for hundreds of years as well. So as big as the Pacific Ocean is, as that sort of that largest geographical feature on the planet, right? It's <laughs> exciting to think about all these vibrant, complex histories, but it's also really important to recognize um, that, that we have a lot to learn. And, you know, if we can hold on to these disparate histories that maybe have some connections and overlaps, even just for Pacific Islanders or, or just for um, Native Hawaiians as part of those um, groups that would be considered Pacific Islanders, um, that's a lot. So I, I hope yeah. that's exciting to people, you know, because I do think that we have an opportunity, especially situated in Orange County and also in, in Los Angeles County, because I know the population of Pacific Islanders has been booming in, in those areas, um, particularly in Los Angeles County and San Diego County has long been one of those other areas in Southern California that has a lot of Pacific Islanders. But, um, you know, I think just recognizing that there's so much to learn, even just about one of those groups, right? And, and I, I can only speak as, as a Chamorro talking about what's happening here in the Marianas or what's happening with the Chamorro populations that live in, in places like Southern California and just that alone, um, that's a lot to cover. <laughs> so. It sure is. And, you know, I appreciate you breaking that down and also um, sharing the background a little bit because, you know, more or less what, you, what you've stated is this, well, you know, the Heritage Month 
began with with a way to honor these these population groups they really are massive and within each one are are so many factions that that deserve their own attention is is what i'm hearing yes and i think from an educational standpoint it's also something you know i had to go and dig and find and search and to learn about um, things from not just uh, other disciplines, but also um, to find voices and to find perspectives from people coming from my community. And I, I, I think that's really great, but it's not something that's a core part of most curriculum to learn much about, at least from the US nation state perspective, I'll say. And I grew up okay. in public education in the US, um, continental US. And so, you know, it's very different in different parts. There are pockets, uh, there are uh, certainly a number of institutional opportunities, you know, higher education to learn about um, Pacific Islander populations, but it's not a core common facet of the curriculum. And so what we're what, what I'm really thinking through is how um, the, the, the grouping can sometimes be a, a detriment because it we sort of forget, you know, like it's exciting to celebrate, like I said, I know it's more than just a month in May or something like that throughout the year, but it's right. also something that ends up uh, perpetuating stereotypes, right? Like here in Guam, a lot of people, if they know anything about Guam, they think it's a military base. That's one of the stereotypes. <laughs> right. um, it's considered, right? Like it's considered a, a tourist destination, mostly for like destination weddings for people coming from Japan, Korea. There's a lot of history too, in terms of uh, military use and um, testing and training and, and things without our consent. And so I think that um, understanding even just a subset of the history of any one of these populations considered Pacific Islander and particularly indigenous Pacific Islanders or native Hawaiian, you know, as a, as a classification, that's an important uh, piece as well, because those histories really do influence uh, what's happening today and, and they certainly carry into our future. Right, wow, I appreciate you explaining that. That's, that's fascinating. Um, I wonder, um, that, and that really was interesting with the Pacific Islander, you know, sort of background that you have. I wonder if we could switch gears a little bit and talk about the Native American uh, population, um, particularly given the recent uh, news that the University of California will now waive tuition for Native American students uh, beginning as soon as this fall. Mm -hmm. And um, I understand you're a member of the Native American and Indigenous Studies Association. And I just uh, kind of wanted to see what you could share with us about uh, how we can meet the specific needs of this population, what your research um, background shows for that. Sure. Well, I'll say first that uh, that organization you mentioned, Native American Indigenous Studies Association, or NASA, some people pronounce it NISA, it's, it's a national or global professional organization. And so just to bring it kind of more locally um, to UCI, I'm also a part of the Native American and, and Indigenous Faculty and Staff Association at UCI, which is, I think, important to note because um, that's been uh, around for much longer than myself. I'm a relatively new faculty member, but other folks have built a strong network that focuses on maintaining and, and improving the situation of support for current students that are indigenous students, Native American students, and really to also another um, component of this is to address engagement with local tribal communities in Southern California. So, you know, the that's probably a topic for another podcast, but I was thinking of the uh, institutional land acknowledgement, for example, recognizing our presence um, as a UCI campus on the ancestral shared territory of the Hashemin and the Tongva people that still hold, you know, cultural, spiritual, physical ties to the land where we live and where we work. And so, you know, if we think about that, um, 
that's a service that we really should provide as a campus community, um, not just in name, but also in deed and in action. And so the exciting thing about having, you know, tuition waived for this population is that um, I, I think that it will hopefully expand our uh, capacities to, to really also follow that up with service to those students when they come to campus. So it's not just bringing them here with uh, tuition support, but it's also then enriching and helping them thrive because we value them just as we value any of our other student populations. But, um, you know, I, I do know that in fall 2021, UCI had that largest number of incoming American Indian first year students of any UC campus. Wow. And understand, yeah. And my understanding yeah. is that 40% of all the incoming American Indian students in the UC system actually enrolled at UCI this past fall. And so if we let that kind of like marinate in our minds for a moment, like <laughs> that is pretty impressive. And then what are we going to do to make sure that they graduate, right? That they right. find the mentors and the support, that they're not dealing with the kinds of things that I mentioned before about being that sort of, I, I felt like a fish out of water as a first generation college student trying to find out about, you know, what, what classes could I take that address, you know, issues in Oceania or the Pacific or, you know, issues facing my community. And, and there's just not that much um, scaled up, you know, across the curriculum. And so I think indigenous students, just like I was talking before about these other classifications, indigenous students, indigenous peoples, we are incredibly diverse, right? <laughs> Our backgrounds might be rural, they might be urban, they might come from domestic or international places. Our um, native student population might come from federally recognized tribal communities or unrecognized tribal groups. And all of that to say is, you know, because of that, we have an opportunity um, to really address the equally diverse needs of those students. Um, and that requires culturally responsive and engaged faculty and staff. And I'm really grateful to, you know, be part of be part of that that group of faculty and staff um, that have come before me, but you know, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say one of the things that we really need to think about is how, both in the past and now, you know, UCI has had a, a commitment to support Native American students, but as a new faculty member, I've been kind of learning about the context of that. And I, and I do think that um, the Native community um, has a lot of, uh, a lot of power in the sense that, you know, people power. And as that people power grows through undergraduates coming in or, you know, these, these opportunities with tuition support, we really need to make sure we're matching that to get those students through their program at UCI, whatever those programs are, have strong mentorship, have the institutional resources um, and those kinds of things to, to really help them, you know, on the institutional level. Um, sure. So, oh, and I wanted to say, um, <laughs> That, that um, the other thing I'll point out is that, you know, celebration, right? This is a time of, I hope, celebration for a lot of people in 2022, um, or just as things are kind of moving forward with the camp campus changes and stuff around the global pandemic, which is that, you know, ceremony um, is coming up to, to honor the Native and Indigenous graduates. And I know we have a lot of cultural ceremonies uh, at UCI, but one of them in particular is to, to focus on that population. And so that's another example of, of small but um, important institutional ways that, um, that UCI can support our students, but also ways that we might think kind of broadly about how can we um, can continue and maintain an active space um, for the Native community, uh, maybe, you know, um, an, 
an actual institutional training and um, understanding around land acknowledgement um, to, mm -hmm. to not leave Native students or any of our students behind. But because they're so underrepresented, oftentimes, I think mm -hmm. this opportunity to have tuition support really can, can help us move into uh, a different kind of future for Indigenous students in higher education. That would just be amazing. Right, yeah, and I looked into um, the the data, the background data of, of enrollment of this, of the Native American students or American Indian, it kind of, you can use, uh, it kind of goes both ways. And it has historically been, you know, fairly low in the single or, or double digits. Um, so it's exciting to be able to grow this population and also to, uh, to meet their needs and see them through, you know, to see them through as successful as can be. And, and also probably break down some of the stereotypes like you had mentioned earlier with some of the Pacific Islander. Um, I wanted to also talk to you uh, about your, you recently received the UCI Chancellor's Inclusive Excellence Award. So congratulations on that. And I, if you could just take a moment to tell us about uh, that award and how you're applying it to your research, uh, I'd love to know more. Sure, thank you for that. Um, this award is really unique and, and exciting. Um, the Chancellor's Inclusive Excellence Award is being used for me to put towards my research projects and, and my work. And, you know, as I mentioned, as, as a Chamorro, as a Pacific Islander, I'm, I'm certainly influenced personally by the commitments we have to place. A lot of my research is with my community and, and place-based um, right now, of course, here in Guahan. Um, but my project generally is to use this award to deepen relationships, to contribute to inclusive excellence. You know, we have this pillar of inclusive excellence called great partners. And by realizing what kind of connects us, I think that's one way we can think about really embodying this idea of great partners. So for me, that's kind of about water, <laughs> really the ocean, <laughs> what's happening here in this part of the Pacific where I'm at, um, in the island of Guahan, um, we're facing a lot of threats from militarization that really threatens our fresh waterways, um, you know, un unprecedented climate threats. Um, that impact all of our land and lives and and from a US uh, territory or colony, um, the decision making power over our own natural resources really is is not in our hands. It's at the hands of the US government. And so an extension of my work in the Mariana Islands um, using that Inclusive Excellence Award is to focus on those issues as they relate to California, um, mm -hmm. as they relate to the populations in Orange County, as they relate to our campus community, because in terms of, say, just one component of that, militarization, um, the militarization that's happening here in the Mariana Islands is, is being brought about by the U.S. military, and we know that the U.S. military is um, is heavily funded, right? We also know, um, at least from my research, that it has a huge impact on the environment. So the military's impact on the environment is something that I think a lot of people in California and UCI, you know, can really understand, even if you don't know much about where I'm at, like Wuhan, right? right. Um, so, you know, that military's impact on the environment also impacts climate change. So when we're talking about water, and of course, in California, we also think about fire, right? Some of those things, I'm just really thrilled to bring some of those pieces of, the, of that work with the Chancellor's Award to support um, partnership with local organizations that not only serve our Pacific Islander community, but also our indigenous communities in the area um, to, to really deepen those connections with UCI um, as an, sure, we can say as an anapesi, you know, I think UCI mm -hmm. is well positioned to be doing that kind of stuff. And then also just um, 
to bring more attention, to bring more light. So, you know, um, if this wasn't an audio uh, venue, I would be showing you maps of the connection because there's also a lot of connections between some of these military projects that are underway in the Marianas to Hawaii, to Southern California, right? Mm -hmm. Literal um, construction and buildup of, of uh, military installations and training and testing grounds that we don't yet know, but we have um, very um, strong suspicion and early uh, preliminary evidence to suggest that it'll very um, it'll be very toxic. It'll have an impact on our water supply. It'll have an impact on you know future generations' access to clean clean water. And, and so those are some of the things I know that probably sounds like a lot, <laughs> but those are some of the things that I'm um, excited about using the Chancellor's Award because it will support my ability to bring some of the research I'm doing this year here to the UCI community when I'm physically there very soon. Yeah, and I want to talk about that in a second, but I appreciate you sharing more about your uh, Inclusive Excellence Award because it, I, think, I think what you're working on is probably not on the radar of a lot of people who are in maybe perhaps the same or related fields of you. It's very specific to, um, you know, he's talking about the military several times and those kinds of the impact, you know, several times. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about the outcome of that. Um, but speaking of fall, I'd like to hear uh, what, when you return um, back to UCI this fall, what, uh, what will you be teaching? Thanks for that question because I'm really excited. I'll be teaching in the fall quarter, I'll be teaching a new undergraduate course. So I work in the Department of Global and International Studies and we have a new undergraduate course called Global Indigeneity. I think the number is 146, um, but it's an undergraduate class that I'll be teaching. So if there's any listeners out there or, or folks that think they might know someone who wants to enroll in that class. Um, so that's Global Indigeneity in the fall quarter. And then in the winter quarter, I will be teaching a graduate seminar in our um, new PhD program in the department. And that graduate seminar is called Theories from the Global South. So both of those are in the Department of Global and International Studies, and it's totally in line with my research interests and expertise, but I'm really excited to get in the classroom again and, and to be learning with the students that I have because I learned so much from them. And, and so I think it'll be a really good way to share what I've been working on, but also learn about what's happening um, in, their, in their lives and, and on the lands that we're going to be conjoining. So. And you said, so the global, um, what was the first one? Global Indigeneity, the undergrad Indigeneity. class. That's a new class, you said? Yes, it's brand new. So we proposed it. My colleague, um, Professor Sarah Witt, and I worked on a course proposal for that, and it got approved. And so this will be the first time it's being taught at UCI. And I think it's just going to be really value added to the curriculum we're already building out in global and international studies as a somewhat new department. Um, but uh, but I'm excited to have that class on the on the books, so to speak. <laughs> Myself and my other colleagues that are um, trained in the area of indigenous studies and other disciplines are um, well well suited to be teaching that class, and so I think it'll be it'll be a useful one for for our undergrads as well. Yeah, congratulations on that. I'm glad uh, we had a second to talk about it too. That sounds really interesting. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, having you back on campus this fall. Um, let's end with a fun question: uh, What do you enjoy most about your job? <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, right now, what I'm enjoying most about my job is that it has given me the privilege and the opportunity to be in my homeland to do my work. Um, this is just a, a wellspring of, of, I guess I could say, um, you know, 
blessings and privileges, a lot of work behind um, the scenes to, to do something like apply for a fellowship and that kind of thing. But years ago, when I started out on my academic journey, like I mentioned before, I'm a first generation college student. And so, you know, I kind of uh, had these dreams, you know, what could potentially what could higher education allow me to do um, and, and the encouragement of my family and, you know, my community. And now I'm living it out. I feel like I'm living it out. I'm working with Independent Guahan, which is an, a really amazing organization of folks who have just been um, tirelessly working for years and years under different organizations, different community efforts, but to really educate people in a powerful way about the issues of um, political status for places like an unincorporated territory, why we have to think about self-determination, why we have to um, ask critical questions, you know, the things that you learn in school. Um, but I love that my job lets me continue to think about those things and to, and to strategize and to work with uh, community in a good way and to be in good relation with people. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of hard pressed to think of like a, a fun thing that's related to that, I suppose, is that I get to, I get to, you know, come up with creative projects. So one example is Independent Guahan, um, as just, you know, kind of keeping it to that, um, has a, an art reach out, uh, outreach effort and um, they're planning murals to paint this um, this summer. And every year we also do a, a live concert. It's been on Zoom these last couple or, you know, TV broadcast these last couple of years, but we're really um, hoping to be able to put it on in person this summer. Um, and it's called Songs of Freedom. And it just, it's just an opportunity for, again, people to, to learn from each other, but to also, and to have those critical conversations, like I was saying, course that's part of my job to think about those things but to also to be in community with each other and to to be in connection and and I guess that kind of all ties back to what I was saying earlier about that that pillar of good relations and and good um you know connections is that it's about it's about those relationships that you build and one thing about my job that I, I get to do is I constantly get to learn and and um learn from others learn with others and be in community with folks so can't complain about that. I also really <laughs> love right now. My fun part of my job is thinking about what's going on in the Marianas. And that means, you know, um, thinking differently, you know, from a literally from a Pacific perspective. Right. So I think that's, that's something that um, is, is really fun for me too. That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. I think, I think that perspective will be such a value add too for the students when you come back. Uh, Professor Napoti, thank you for speaking with me today and best wishes for uh, success for the remainder of your research uh, focus in Guam. Well, thank you so much for having me. The UCI podcast is a production of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs at the University of California, Irvine. I'm Sherry Ledbetter. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.